stories. So we're looking at a story this morning in the book of Genesis, and we're going to be covering some things in Genesis chapter 16 through 18. And we're, everybody keeps asking me, are you still in Genesis? We may be into Genesis till Jesus comes back. But I hope you see there's so many different things in the book of Genesis that we can learn from. So many different stories that uh, are applicable to our own lives here today, thousands of years after these stories and events took place. As I was looking at this and reading the scriptures over and over this week, a thought kept coming to my mind about a part of my attitude. I don't like to wait. I don't like to wait in lines. I don't want to wait in the line at the checkout counter. I don't want to wait in the food line, especially don't want to wait in that line. I don't want to wait in the doctor's office. I don't want to wait in the dentist's office. I don't even want to wait for a package that's supposed to be coming in the mail. It drives me crazy. And, you know, once in a while, once in a very, very great while, I don't like to wait for people who are late. I probably don't look at the clock. <laughs> and what really can be hard to wait on, you know, you know what that troubles me about, but most about my not liking to wait is because really it could be called impatience, right? And I think there's something about... Patience is being part of the fruit of the Spirit, right? So I was going to call it something else this morning so it didn't sound so bad. The only word I could come up with was selfishness, and <laughs> that didn't work either. It's, it's, you know, my impatience so often is just all about me. And even with things with the Lord, you know, we might be reading the Word of God and God speaks to our heart, and there's a promise that we grab a hold of it. The Holy Spirit really is lit in us. And then we wait. And we wait and we wait. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just, um, while you're praying or meditating or something, the Holy Spirit speaks something to you that's very specific for you, to you, about you. And you can hardly wait. And then you wait and wait and wait and wait. And it gets hard to wait. Sometimes we are a church who believes in uh, prophetic words, that the Lord can share a word for you through other people, as we maybe witnessed this morning here. And we receive that word, and we really, it's confirmed in our heart. We, it doesn't contradict the word of God, and man, we're, we're ready. And then we wait. Wait and wait and wait. And one of the things that is so important when we're waiting on the Lord, assuming, of course, what we heard was truly from the Lord, okay, we're going with that assumption, is we do not want to force the hand of God to move in the promise that's been given us. In other words, we don't want to try to make God do what it is he said he's going to do in the way that we want him to and when we want him to. Amen? You get in trouble. Things go bad most of the time. Unfortunately, he's a loving God and a gracious God, so it doesn't turn into a disaster every time. But everything that we do like that will ultimately have consequences. And the story we're going to look at today, we see impatience at least maybe wavering faith come to the surface. And the, the decisions that were made by these two people 4,000 years ago approximately are still being played out on the world stage today. That's what you call consequences of not waiting on the Lord. Who am I talking about? Well, their name at the time are Abram and Sarai. 
Now, I'll be calling them Abraham and Sarah because I forget all the time. But eventually, we're going to get to the place they get the new names. They're the two people that I'm talking about. And they had received a promise of a son. If you recall, a couple weeks ago in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, while they're still in Ur of the Chaldean, and and Abraham gets his call from God. And the call from God is to go to a land that I will show you. I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to have a great name. You're going to impact the world. Well, a great nation means there's probably going to be a lot of children, grandchildren, descendants. He had received that word directly from the Lord. Well, he got to the Canaan, the land of Canaan. He stopped to check him and he made an altar. He went to Bethel and he made an altar. But then what did he do? Because there was a famine in the land, he just kept going. And he went to Egypt. And we see nothing in the Scriptures about the Lord telling him to go to Egypt. And we see nothing in the Scriptures, Abraham, this man of faith, saying, Lord, there's a famine. What should we do? We see nothing like that. He just did what probably any of us would do. Anybody with common sense would say, there's no food here, but there's food in Egypt. Let's go there if we can. But they didn't seek the Lord on this at all. And they went to Egypt. And it seems that they prospered in Egypt. They picked up uh, some servants. The household grew, as you you might say. It appears that even their personal livestock and all of those things grew while they were in Egypt. We don't know for sure how long they were in Egypt. But in Genesis chapter 15, it tells us they are now back in Canaan. And this time frame in Genesis chapter 15, back in Canaan, Lot has been taken captive. Abraham has already went and rescued him. He's had his encounter with Melchizedek that we talked about. All of these things have have taken place, and he is back in Canaan, and he has a vision. The Lord comes to speak to him again. The Lord comes to speak to him again. I want to just make something clear that not everybody can agree on. You know, the Scripture says many times that no one has seen the face of God and lived, right? But we see here Abraham is always being talked to by the Lord. And many think, and I might say most theologians think, and I mentioned this just in passing last week, that when you see the Lord speaking to these, speaking to Abraham, or the Lord coming to Abraham with a couple of angels we'll talk about, the Lord, many people think that is what, as I mentioned last week, a Christophany, a Christophany. And all that is is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. So they believe that before he was ever born, before he walked the earth as a man, Jesus made appearances on earth at different times. That's what a Christophany is. Now, what you think of that, I don't really think it matters too much, but to me it's significant because he's always speaking to the Lord, and the Lord is speaking to him. So the Lord comes to him in a vision this time, and he's speaking to him, and he tells him this, Abraham, your reward will be great. It's almost as if it says, you know, it's been a while now. You were in Egypt. You're back in Canaan now. Ten years have passed. It's been a while. It's like he's coming back to remind him of the promises. Boy, how often do we need to be reminded of promises? It really helps us to remain filled with faith. He reminds him and he says, your reward will be very great. And we get to get an idea of what Abraham's thinking immediately by his response. He says, what will you give me since I don't have any children? I am childless. What will you give me? 
And the heir of my house is this man named Eleazar, Eleazar of Damascus. One thing that was common in those days, if you had some wealth and you didn't have a child, an heir of your own, you would adopt somebody from your household, and the household often included the servants. And it appears, even though it doesn't say that specifically that he was adopted, it appears that he was probably adopted this Eleazar. And the Lord says to him immediately, this man will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body. He will be your heir. So once again, he's told very specifically what's going to happen. Abraham, I promised you, you're going to have children. You're going to have a son. You're going to have so many descendants. You're going to have a great nation, become a great nation. And then he goes on just to make the point in case Abraham might have missed it. He says, he takes him outside in this vision. He says, Abraham, he goes outside and he says, look up in the sky. Look at all those stars. If you could count them, so will be your descendants. Pretty clear. God is speaking to him, promising him a son, promising him descendants to fill a nation, to populate a nation. And we're told in the very next verse, verse 6 of chapter 15, where it says once again, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So it wasn't that he didn't believe him. It wasn't that he doubted him. He believed God. And as we know, and I mentioned a couple times already in the past weeks, when God spoke to Abraham, Abraham obeyed mostly. doesn't look like he obeyed all the time when he should. We don't see a clear picture of the whole thing going to Egypt. We don't know about that. And when he was in Egypt, he picked up an Egyptian maidservant for his wife. While he was in Egypt, he sort of lied so he wouldn't be killed so that Pharaoh could take his wife. If you've read the story... This is a rabbit trail of all rabbit trails. <laughs> if you've read the story, one of the things that keeps popping into my mind, at this time, his wife is about 65 years old. When he goes into Egypt, he's afraid Pharaoh's going to kill him so he can take his wife. She must have been a spry 65-year-old. And we'll see in the future, when she's even older, he lies about his wife again. I'm not sure the significance of that except she was an older lady. And everywhere he went, he was afraid that the king or the pharaoh would take her. And each time he lied, each time he lied, it was as if he was giving away the woman who was supposed to be the mother of the promise. And God intervened in every case. I think there's a lesson there for us, too, that, you know, when even when there's mistakes made, God loves his children. God will protect his children. He will intervene. And he did because he protected her from Pharaoh. And he protected her from the king. And uh, at great threat to the Pharaoh and the king, by the way. But in each case... When, when he was messing up, Abraham was messing up, this, this mighty man of God, man of faith, was messing up, just like we do. He went to Egypt. And what happens then is the story that we want to mention today. 
And once again, we see no indication whatsoever that he or Sarah sought God. And as I mentioned, it appears like they became very impatient. Their faith was maybe wavering. Or if you're like me and you sometimes can make an excuse and kind of be nitpicky, you notice when Abraham was promised a son, it was always Abraham, it will come from you, it will be from you. He hadn't mentioned anything about Sarah yet. So maybe, just maybe, this whole plan has some credibility, which we discover it didn't. But they've been in Canaan for 10 years. Sarah has this Egyptian servant, maidservant named Hagar. And she decides to create a plan. She has a plan. And Abraham goes along with the plan. And as I'm reading this story, one of the things that brought to my mind was the Garden of Eden. Adam was supposed to be the leader in the first family. He had clear instructions from God. Eve comes up with an idea to eat some fruit that they weren't supposed to eat, and he gives in. And boy, look what happened. Here, all of a sudden, Abraham, the, God, the man that God has chosen to be a father of a nation, seems to falter as a leader in his own home. Sarah, still called Sarai, has a plan. And the plan is this. She goes to Abraham and says, I have this maidservant from Egypt. Her name is Hagar. I want to give her to you. And I want you to lay with her. And she will conceive. And when she conceives... I will raise her as my child, him or her as my child. And therefore, we can fulfill the promise that God has for us that you would become a great nation. Well, Abraham goes, okay. What was he thinking? He goes, okay. And as soon as he does this, Hagar conceives and becomes pregnant. And he immediately, Hagar, it says, is nasty to Sarai. Doesn't tell us why. She maybe thought she was now better as, even as the maidservant. She was the better wife. I got, I'm pregnant. I'm going to give a child. I'm going to give an heir to Abraham, and you couldn't do it. For whatever reason, it, it says that she despised her mistress, Sarai, right away. And then what did Sarai do? Kind of like Eve did. Abraham, this is all your fault. What? It's all your fault. And Abraham, as he's kind of on a bad roll here, says, hey, she's your servant. You deal with it. And she teaches her harshly, so harshly that eventually Hagar runs off. And again, even in the midst of this story, we get to see the mercy and love of God. God intervenes. Who did he intervene with? Hagar, the maidservant. The Lord goes to Hagar and speaks to her. She asks a couple questions. Where have you been and where are you going? She explains what's going on. And the Lord speaks to her and, and tells her this. Go back to your mistress. Go back to Sarai. Submit yourself to her. The child you have conceived is a son. 
and you will name him Ishmael. And he will become a great nation. So she goes back and stays with Abraham and Sarai. And it tells us when Ishmael was born, Abraham was now 86 years old. And for easy reference, Sarai is 10 years younger. He's 86 years old. I don't know about you, but when I read a story like that, I go, what were they thinking and how could they do this? How could they do this? I mean, the Lord is speaking to you. This just isn't right. But then you got to put yourself in the place and time that they were living in, in the culture that they were immersed in. It was lawful in this culture. If the man could not have a child by his wife, his wife could legally give one of her servants to her husband as a wife, and when the child be born, take the child and raise it as her own. The culture they were immersed in. And part of me goes, that's okay, but still, really, Abraham? The Lord is speaking to you, Abraham. And then it's like I get a little slap on the top of the head and it says, Mike, think about the people today. Think about the world today. Think about Christians today. We are immersed in a very ungodly culture. Would you agree? And in this ungodly culture, you know what we see? We see a lot of people who are say they are Christians. And maybe it's some of us at different times. Surrounded in this culture, immersed in this culture, things that the culture says are okay or even the laws of our culture say are okay, we find Christians supporting. Can you think of any? Can you think of any attitudes? Fornication. Christians living together unmarried and having sex. Well, everybody's doing it. We really love each other. Our plan is to get married. The culture, the culture. Drunkenness. The Bible's pretty clear on drunkenness, but in our culture, it's, hey, let's just go have a good time. You know, Christians, our testimony, we shouldn't be getting drunk. Sorry. I'm not saying you can't have a beer. I'm not saying you can't have a glass of wine. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying drunkenness is clear. But it's our culture. So I need to maybe not be quite so hard on Abraham here. And I could go on. Homosexuality. Gay marriage. Abortion. We're immersed in a culture where that's all acceptable and legal. And Christians sometimes fall right in line. We are going to see the consequences of Abraham and Sarah's choices. And all sin has consequences. You know, our story, our testimony needs to be different. It needs to be different. You know, the Lord may have spoke to Abraham, but we have something that Abraham didn't have. We have the Holy Spirit living in us as our teacher, our guide, who will give us direction, lead us. How could they do such a thing? It's not so hard to understand. Between the last verse of chapter 16 and the first verse of chapter 17, it says there's a time period that took place of 13 years. So by the time we go from chapter 16 and jump into the story in chapter 17, Ishmael is now a 13-year-old. He's a teenager. And I don't doubt for a moment 
that Abraham loved Ishmael just like anybody else would love their son and love their child. He was now 13 years old. And things were changing. And the Lord appears to Abraham. We have no indication what took place during those 13 years. But it says at the end of these 13 years, the Lord appears to Abraham again. And he appears to Abraham. And he talks to him, and he starts out by saying something that we've not read in the Bible before. He says, I am the Lord God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Why would he say that? I think he might be trying to get across the point that, Abraham, I can do anything. I can do anything. You can trust me. I am the Lord God Almighty, El Shaddai. That's how he starts the conversation he's now going to have with them, and I think it really helps to drive home the point. And in this, he reaffirms and elaborates on the covenant that he had with Abraham. And as he goes through and reaffirms what he's talked about with the, the, the descendants, the land, then he establishes the, the covenant of circumcision. And he explains to Abraham, this is what we're going to do. Every male is going to be circumcised. And we're going to do this as a sign of the covenant that I have with you. It's just as a sign. No Jew is going to ever be saved because they were circumcised. It was a sign of the covenant to help them remember forever. And it's at this time that Abram officially, even though I've changed his name a long time ago, Abram finally gets his name changed. And it's amazing. Abram means the father of many, Abram. And you just put an H in there, and in the Hebrew language, it changes it to the father of many nations. So now even the name that God has given him is like a reminder to be held up before him every time he hears his name. I'm going to be the father of many nations. I'm going to be the father of many nations. You are Abraham. And Sarai also gets a name change. Sarai is, means princess in the original language. And the Lord says, you are now Sarah. Again, very little change in the structure in the original language, but it changes the meaning to mother of many nations. So that alone should have been, a, again, not only a reminder but and confirmation, but, you know, have you got it yet? You're going to be the mother. He's going to be the father of many nations in spite of all your planning and plotting with Hagar. You're going to do this. And I want to read in Genesis chapter 17 starting at verse 17. Lord has just spoken to him and told him he's going to have a baby. And he says he fell face down. And he laughed. And he said to himself. Now there's just a little piece of trivia. When they say face down here in their culture, it wasn't that they just kind of <laughs> fell to the ground. It was like what you see when a Muslim goes to prayer. They would kneel, bend at the waist, and put their forehead on the ground beneath them. He would fell face down and as a sign of reverence to God. But he laughed. But his laughter here is more one of joy, excitement. 
because God doesn't confront his laughing whatsoever. It says, he laughed to himself and said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? He's 99. Next year, I'm going to be 100. Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. You can almost miss the significance of that. This is Abraham speaking to the Lord, and he, it's like a prayer almost being sent to God about his son Ishmael. And we'll see in just a second as we continue reading how God responds. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. In other words, I've heard your prayer. I've heard your petition for your son Ishmael. And I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and greatly increase his numbers, and he will be the father of 12 princes, 12 rulers. And I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you, by this time next year. I have got so much more I want to say about this story, and the clock is telling me I better quit. And this isn't the best spot, but we're going to. So I I want us to remember, if you can, the proclamation has been made crystal clear, but this is a private proclamation between God and Abraham. And almost immediately following this, the same proclamation is made encourage you to read it because it starts out by telling three men come to his tent and then it tells us who these men are one is the lord and the other two are angels and they come with the same message and as you're reading it ask yourself why are they repeating the message it just took place let's close how do you close without the the big (laughs) just like this right as the worship team comes, Lord, I pray that we, you will draw us to your word, that we will, we will catch a glimpse of your goodness, your mercy, your love, even in the lives of Abraham and Sarah, even as they mess up. God, that we would be encouraged, Father God, that your love for us, that we would not allow the enemy to put any kind of guilt or shame on us when we mess up, as we will. Lord, we thank you that you are patient with us as you were patient with Abraham and Sarah. And we're thankful, Lord, that your promises are true for us, just as they were for Abraham and Sarah. 